though, when we were here last. We had rather a dramatic and intense fight in the serpent person outpost, the gate room and the control room. You discovered that poor old Quentin Shapiro had been consumed <laughs> by a serpent person who had then taken on his appearance and was trying to get everyone to stay in the gate room. Unbeknownst to you at the time, he had moved on the timer on the Haftarang device so that you no longer had three quarters of a day. You had much, much less time, but at the time you were, you were not to know that, but it became increasingly apparent that this version of Quentin Shapiro was not the real McCoy. And so you got into a big fight. The gate was opened and some monstrous creature disgorged some, a huge glob of wormy phlegm all over you. And in the middle of, of all that, uh, you, uh, you managed to escape, at which point the snake person Shapiro, Snake Shapiro, cast some kind of spell on himself and turned into a formless spawn, which he managed to defeat with the aid of a flamethrower. So all good stuff. Right. And then you, you headed back to the quarantine zone, whereupon you discovered, to your horror, that Haftarang device was ticking very loudly. Well, first of all, you found Shapiro's chest that had the, the leftovers <laughs> of that snake person's meal. There was an entire human skeleton's worth of bones in there, which you could only assume was what was left of poor old Shapiro. But more pressingly, the Haftarang device is ticking down, and there's only an hour left until the thing goes off. And that is where we rejoin <laughs> the excitement. So... Guys, what the fuck are you going to do? That is the question, isn't it? Seeing that, Logan looks at Richard and the professor and says, help me get this on the plane, quick. The plane we are using to get off this island? Are you mad? I'm going to fly it out of here. Yeah, but you will die if you do that, Mr. Selby. One life to save many. It's worth it. How will we get out? Is there enough time to uh, get this on the plane, fly it over the ocean, and then jettison the contraption? No, I don't think so. No, not for what you know. I figure even if I can get it up into the air, I mean, 20, 30,000 feet, it's got to be better than down here on the ground. There are parachutes in the plane. And there's always that option. Goodness me. So help me, quick. Brave man, Chesterton. All right, uh, I'll help you get it on the plane. I think you're a little bit crazy in the head, Mr. Selby. I'll do it. Fantastic, fantastic. That's, that's true heroism. I've been thinking about this, so... Yeah, you clearly have. Yeah, because you realize that to get it over the sea would take two hours, so it would go off mid-flight. I was just thinking, if I could get it up in the air, you know, and even get it, like I said, twenty or 30,000 feet, that's at least got to be better than it blowing up down here on the ground. From what Shapiro told you, the radius of the Haftarang device is anywhere between five and ten miles. And that's down as well. Is there any way you could uh, fly the plane up and then parachute out of the plane and just let the plane glide towards the ocean. If that's a possibility, I'll take that chance, but I think we need to get it off the ground. Yeah. Even if I'm not far enough away for the complete destruction, to avoid the complete destruction, at least something, it'll help some. I don't think we have time to be poring over maps. Uh, time is of the essence. I say we quickly get this on the plane and toward the ocean as fast as possible. Let me ask you this. I'm an aviator. I mean, that's my background. I mean, wouldn't I maybe have even looked at maps on the way here or at least had a general idea where we were going yeah sure sure i would say if you fly north from here you're heading into deep jungle what you could do if you pass some skill checks you could fly up to cruising altitude and then all you need to do is tie off the 
joystick so it would stay level and then if you'd done that well you could jump out the plane and it would carry on flying i'll say that you could do that in this very pulp cool pulp way you could even climb out on the wing if you want just to make it even more dramatic <laughs> well it has a loading bay so i mean i would just open the loading maybe well no i don't want anything to fall out of the loading bay though so yeah that's true that's true all right so is that what you're doing you're going to carry the hafterang device to the airplane that's what logan would do yes okay are you being helped then i hope so yes indeed Okay, well, first of all, you need to get it into a truck and you need to drive back to the army camp because that's where your plane is. So this is going to take a little bit of time. So everyone can make a luck roll. Actually, you know what? You can all refresh your luck. Okay. Okay, so Hackery, D10 plus 5. Logan gets 2D10 plus 10. And Chesterton gets 2D10 plus 10. 2D10 plus 10. Wow, 28. Wow. You got so much luck now that you should, you know, any any tricky rolls you got coming out will certainly be helped. So, who's got the lowest luck then at this point? I would say it's Logan, yeah. Oh, I only have sixty-eight. Yeah, I think Logan. So, Logan, you got the lowest luck at the moment. Okay, so Logan, you need to make a luck roll then. Okay, what I'll say is that there's no truck in the farm. You're going to have to go back to the survey camp and get a truck. Okay, I'll start running. All right. <laughs> what are the rest of you doing? I, we can't do anything. I mean, can we get the Haftarang uh, device uh, ready with like a, um, is there a, uh, a dolly or a uh, cart? Or... It's not so heavy. You, you can lift, you know, the three of you together can lift it up on the back of the okay. truck. It's not, it's not immensely heavy. Then I guess we should just go with him so that we're all together and all on the same page. You run back to the survey camp and you see Clements is uh, overseeing the filling in of the disturbed graves. And he turns around. He says, oh, did you find out where the bodies went then? There's no time for that. Give me the keys to the truck. Any truck. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Now, hold on a second. Whoa, what, what do you need it for? There's no time. What do you mean there's no time? We've been stuck here for like three weeks. What do you mean there's no time? Why is there suddenly some kind of rush? Seriously, man. Give me the keys. Now. I brandished my walking stick at him. Yeah, we need the keys. We need the keys right now. Well, look, actually, no. I pull my mouser on him. Okay, you can make an intimidate roll with a bonus dice. <laughs> Well, I guess Logan's the one doing the intimidating, so why don't you make the roll? With the bonus dice? Yeah. Oh. Not going to be my day, obviously. No, no. He says, look, I'm terribly sorry, but given everything that's been going on, I, I'm not very inclined to let, let you have one of these trucks. I mean, what happened to the other one that we gave you? Oh, yes. What did happen to that? <laughs> that's a good point. I think Abdin must have left it parked to the edge of the forest somewhere. Quick, to the edge of the forest. I'm going to run to the truck and hope that the keys might actually be in the truck already. I'd like to attempt to knock the man out with my walking stick. I was just about to say, can I tackle this guy? Yeah, absolutely. There's actually a good pulp rule, which we haven't really used very much. If you're trying to knock someone out who's just a regular person, you don't even need to do half damage. You just need to hit them, basically, and hope they don't dodge. So um, you can just make a regular fighting brawl roll just to punch the guy out. Can we both do it? Oh, he's never mind. He did it. Oh, he did it. Well, I'll roll his dodge. Oh, no. yeah. He was not expecting it. You caught him completely cold. You just sucker punched him, basically. <laughs> Look at this Mauser. Whammo. <laughs> yeah. And he just goes down. He goes down. You can make a luck roll at this point, right. Thackeray. I'll go through his pockets. Okay. Fortunately, no one saw you, and so you can all jump in the truck. You kick the truck into life, put it into gear, crunch the gears. Now, at this point... Of course, some time has passed. I'll say that whole thing has taken 10 minutes, so you have 50 minutes left. 
So here's the deal. You can just drive normally, in which case there's no skill roll needed. But of course, this will eat up more time. Or you can try and uh, gun it, and which of course is risky. You risk running off the road. So what you... I drive airplanes. I can't drive a car. Well, Logan, you're in the driver's seat. As you said, you were running for it. So you're sitting in the driver's seat. What do you want to do? Do you want to just take it carefully? I'm going to roll. Gun it! Gun it! Oh, for Christ's sake. Doesn't mean you've run it off the road yet. What it means is you can feel that you're losing control of it. And so you're either going to have to slow down or you're going to have to just risk it and push the roll. It's up to you. If you push the roll, you're going off the road. I'm going to push it. I get out and push. Oh, boy. No. Okay, so you you hit this patch of wet soil and the truck goes skidding off the road. Oh my god, this is not going how, how you were hoping. And you smash straight into a thick tree trunk of the big... Uh... Can I use luck? Oh, I can't with a push roll, can no, I? No, not with a push roll. Okay, so you're all going to take some damage. D3 of damage to everyone. So I'll just roll one roll and you can all take that amount. Okay, so you all take two damage from the impact, and now your truck is a smoking ruin as the hood has been completely stoved in and there's smoke just billowing out of it. What are you going to do? There is another truck, but it's in the dream. It's parked up in the edge of the forest. That's going to take another 10 minutes for you to get. Andy, how many points do we take? Do we take three? Two. Two, he said. Two, okay, because I... That'll leave me with one hit point. (laughs) Oh, my God! I was really hurt. Can I try mechanical repair? That'll take even longer, I think. Oh, boy. Yes, you can. You can. Maybe it's not as damaged as we might have thought. Let's see. I tell you what, simultaneous, he's doing that. I'm running for the truck in the dreamland. Okay, okay, very good. Oh, my God. Today is the day of fail. Do you want to push the roll? I mean, you can see that there's a problem with the radiator. Yeah, I'll push it. I'll, I might as well. <laughs> okay, go on. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Just tell me how you somehow managed to fix the radiator on this bust-up truck. So I open up the hood and I see that one of the, ho- the hose to the radiator has popped off, so I hurry up and quickly push it back on and tighten it up real quick with a, you know, with a screwdriver I found you know, underneath the seat. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, then you get the truck going again. I would assume you're going to take it carefully now. <laughs> yeah. Gun it! Gun it! Oh, let's not do this again. Because well, you could kill Richard next time. <laughs> it's only got one hit point left. What are the probabilities of two car accidents in Borneo? I've already wasted enough time, so I might as well just take it easy and get there. Okay, so you get to the medical tent. People are starting to kind of notice that you seem a bit frantic, but no one's no one's really doing anything particular. In a surprising twist, I made my drive skill, so I got the second truck. Yeah, okay, so you've, you've got... Did you not come back and get in the first truck? Did you run off to get it? I said simultaneous to him working on the truck. I ran for the other one, so I'm gunning this one. All right, you gun it, and you get to the farm about the same time as them. You come just, like, careening through, through the brush, burst through the fence, and come to a skidding halt just as they're gently pulling up to the medical tent. Inches from Mr. Chesterton in the passenger side. Okay. Make sure you tick that, Archie. Make sure you tick that skill. Yes, make sure you tick the skill. That's very good. You you guys definitely need to improve your driving skills. Given how competent you are at everything else, it's kind of hilarious that none of you know how to drive. But given that you made the, your drive auto roll, I will allow you to, if they want to load the, the device onto the back of the truck you're driving, you can get back to the airstrip quickly now, given that you passed your roll. Yeah, we'll do that. Quickly as possible. Let's do it. Yeah, let's move. Mr. Selby, stick to the planes. Get in. I'll hop in the back with the half-durang device. 
So you put the patterning device in the back of the truck. Maybe you're sitting in the back with it to make sure it doesn't fall out or something. It's starting to sort of pulse with various lights as well at this point, and the ticking is getting awfully loud. The weird thing is, it also seems to be sort of, I guess the only way to describe it is, it's starting to almost phase in and out. It's very briefly for maybe quarter of a second or something, it seems to almost go transparent and then comes back. This thing is a very weird machine. You can only imagine what it's actually going to do when it goes off. It seems to be almost warping reality around it as the countdown gets closer to the zero. And at this point, you, so you, you gun it back, you get to the airstrip, the timer is now showing 40 minutes, and you come screaming down into the airstrip. The guards are standing at the gate, and one of them just walks forward, just wait, expecting you to slow down and stop. So are you gonna slow down and stop? Get out of the way, out of the way. Coming through, we're not stopping for anybody, I can tell you that. I made my drive skill check, not my brake skill check. So the two soldiers dive out of the way as, as your truck comes crashing through the gates. And you see Captain Lancaster coming out and he spots you and he goes, Good God, what on earth is going on here? He shouts to you as you come screaming towards the airstrip past the army tents. As I go uh, speeding past them, I just beat my horn furiously and I say, Bomb! Bomb! Run for your lives! Everybody, air raid! <laughs> they all, everyone starts diving for cover. So you get to the plane. There's now 35 minutes to go. You've got the Haftarang device on the back of the plane. Logan, this is your moment. Logan looks at Richard and the professor and says, get in the truck and go. Get away from here. Brave man. I mean, the thing is, in 35 minutes, obviously you can get 10 miles away in 35 minutes. So even even if he sort of crashes into the mountain or something, you can get far enough away. I think it would be best, what do you think, if we all stick together, the three parachutes on this plane? I say if one of us is going to go down, we all go down. Wow. Mr. Selby, we are not leaving you now. Logan looks at them. You two guys are crazy. Get out of here. We don't all need to die. You'll need to push us out with the haftering device. Okay, well, you haven't got time to argue, guys. The clock is ticking. Let's just get on the football. Let's just all go. Okay, well. Live and die as a team. Brave man, all three. And you get on the plane, you fire it up, the plane takes off. And you are now flying around the side of the mountain. Kinabalu. Yay. So the best place for you to fly is to the north side of that mountain. Now, the mountain seems, <laughs> judging by that picture, to have two peaks. Well, to have one peak and then a higher area to the, to the east. So the quickest but perhaps most hazardous way to do it would be to fly up and fly between the two high areas of the mountain. The slower way would be to go to the west and then go north. But of course, that'll take longer. So what do you want to do? Do you want to risk going through like a mountain pass straight up? Or do you want to circle around to the west? Through the pass. Of course. Pure Indiana Jones stuff. Okay, so you pull back on the stick. I think it's just called a stick, isn't it? It is just called a stick. Now, I Yeah, realize. I think you're right. I think so. So you pull back on the stick. The nose starts pointing upwards. You hear a, a bump as the Haftarang device slides back in the cargo hold and, and then stays firm. And at this point, I will ask you now to make your pilot roll. Wow! Oh, whoa, nice! When it counted, when it absolutely counted. So... Well done. You pull back, you hear the sort of screaming of the engines, the rush of wind. I mean, you're all getting some G-force on you as you're almost... You're not going up quite vertically, but you're going up at a crazy angle. 
you see the mountain pass just up ahead of you. You manage to get it up to the right height and you're through, you're through the mountain pass. You can see the peak of Mount Kinabalu, even in this hot tropical climate, there's snow dappling the top, the very top of it. You can see the whole of Borneo laid out beneath you, the, the massive uncharted forests to the north. Now, at this point, this would be a good point now because you're high up, it'll be heading northwards into uninhabited uh, rainforest. This would be a pretty good point to evacuate before you get to the other side of the mountain. Because if you're there, you've got a huge trek to get back because you'd have to go all the way around. Here, at least, you'd be able to at least hike down the mountain. It's time, Doc. Let's make tracks. So what I will do is you'll have to make one more pilot roll to make sure you tie, that you secure the, the stick and you've done it. Okay. So you tie off the stick. Let's say it's taken 20 minutes for all of this business to occur so in about 15 minutes time give or take this aftering device is going to go off and judging at the airspeed that it's traveling at it'll be a good like 15 miles away from you at this point you know you're traveling at a, at a mile a minute kind of thing no problem so everyone is grabbing a parachute yeah. and <laughs> everyone needs to make a dex roll dexterity rolls as you jump out the plane thackeray makes it Wow. <laughs> so the parachute gently lowers you down to the large, flat, high-altitude plane of the, in the mountain pass of Mount Kinabalu. And you all land safely and securely. And you watch the plane as it just goes off into the distance, into some clouds, and then it breaks through, and you can see it getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So you're kind of sitting there maybe on a rock, just collecting ourselves, just thinking, what the hell have we been through? And about 10 minutes later, you see the most extraordinary sight. The plane has long disappeared from view. And what you see is you see, it's almost like a tear opening in reality. It's almost like a hole is appearing. And at first, it looks like you're seeing into deep space. And then everything goes incredibly bright and this tear starts growing and growing and growing. And this massive ball, it's not an explosion. It's like a growing ball, as if a new sun was growing in the sky before your very eyes. Until it gets to this massive size, 10 miles across. It's probably four times as bright as the sun. And the color is just extraordinary. The color of this sun, this star that you're seeing, is the most vivid, almost ultramarine blue. And you see it just evaporating everything around it. The forest beneath it, the hills, the air itself is all just sucked into this vortex of flame and fire, as if a new sun had just been deposited over Borneo. And this vision lasts for a few minutes, and then it goes. And what you see left is almost as awe-inspiring and as horrifying when it shrunk and then disappeared, it just left this 10 mile wide blackened crater, like this almost this perfect hemispherical crater in the forest going deep, deep down into the earth as if this huge ball of, of reality had just been completely excised like a cancer being taken out of a diseased body. And uh, yeah, you don't have to make a sanity roll though for seeing it. That's good. Because otherwise, Thackeray. But yeah, you have just seen something that probably no one has ever seen before. Do we have our packs on us, by chance? 
I think not. Okay. I think you just got into the plane. But it's not that far back down to the quarantine zone from where you are. Well, I was going to say that Logan would have pulled his camera out and taken some pictures. Oh, okay. Well, let's say you go, oh, hey, you've always got your camera with you. So, yeah. Okay, you've taken some pictures. Fine. Perfect. It's hang- it was hanging around my neck, right? Yeah. You know, you've seen something that probably no human beings have ever seen before. Although with that camera technology, it just looks like all white on a black and white photograph. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But obviously you've never, nuclear weapons didn't exist. And even if they did, maybe those of you that might know a little bit about science will understand that what you've seen is not what is theorized as a, you know, a nuclear or atomic explosion, which were probably theorized at that point. But this is something else entirely. I kind of want to keep that sanity rule. You can keep it if you want. I think we can bank that one for for more fun and games later. But you head back down eventually after having seen this extraordinary show of power. I suppose the consideration must be if the serpent people can make something as powerful as this, what hope is there? I suppose. Might be something. This was a serpent person device? I thought this was uh, one of ours or one of... uh... Yeah, it was, but it was recovered. It was one of the devices and technology that they'd found in their investigations of the serpent people. Like everything that Caduceus has, it's all serpent person technology, and this is like pretty mind-blowing stuff. Before we start on our little trek back to camp, Logan's going to look at Richard and the professor and say, I want to thank you both for staying with me. You didn't have to, but I really do appreciate it. All for one, huh, Mr. Selby? Yes, yes indeed. I've come to realize that you have a warrior's heart, and our duty is to uphold that dharma through selfless action. Yes. And you will get rewarded for that. That that was a very selfless act, and you saved thousands of lives, tens of thousands of lives possibly, in the inhabited areas of the towns around the base of the mountain. On the flip side, there are many, many animals in that uh, rainforest who have just gone extinct because of what you did. Yes, because actually every square mile of Borneo forest contains like 10,000 heretofore unknown species that will now never be known. But back then, I don't think people really cared about that so much, did they? Back then? What about now? Who cares, right? That's true. But back then, they certainly didn't care about them. Have some more opium. All right, so you head back down. And I think there's no way that an event like that could have been unobserved. And you get back... And Professor Lancaster and the men, they greet you. And they say, and Lancaster says, Good God, what on earth was that? That felt like the end of the world. What did you do? What did you see? Uh, Logan's going to look at Richard and the professor and just kind of give him a look like, should we say anything? Well, Captain, all we can say is the, the danger has been neutralized. Well, I'm not sure who the three of you really are, but uh, given everything that's been going on here, I... I'm very glad that you came, and hopefully uh, this situation can be quickly resolved. We do need another plane, though. (laughs) That's a good point. He says, right, right. uh, Well, I'll send a radio. Uh, I'll radio into the capital and get one sent over. Mm. Very good. And with that, we will end the Borneo chapter. However, there's just one thing that needs to happen. As you're waiting for the plane, Logan, you're going to need to make a constitution roll. The question is, did I need to succeed or fail on that roll? Well, here's the thing. I won't tell you. But on the flight back, a plane is sent. A plane is sent. Actually, Caduceus have organized a plane to be sent. 
During that flight on the way back, you start to feel ill, Logan. I told you not to eat that elephant. I didn't. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Strangely, the professor and, and Richard both feel absolutely fine. Because they ate the elephant. I didn't have any, no. No, no. But uh, you, Logan, you're starting to feel nauseous. And the two of you notice that his skin is turning this uh, jaundiced yellow color. You have a horrible flight back. You're vomiting. You, you have diarrhea. Ugh. And by the time you get back to New York, you're in really bad shape, Logan. Really, really bad shape. You're going to have to roll a d6. And you start to ooze yellow pus from all your orifices, including bright yellow tears. And you're terribly dehydrated, almost incapacitated. At this point, you're actually losing hit points every hour. And everyone on, on the plane knows this is an extreme emergency. When you land back at Idlewild Airstrip, you're put in an ambulance. You're met by Caduceus staff, one of whom comes up and introduces himself to Richard and Professor Thackeray. This man approaches. He's, he looks sort of Latin American. And he comes over and he says, Oh, thank goodness you, thank goodness you made it. Um, my name's Gonsalves. We were radioed and, and we were told that Logan here was suffering from the from the yellow death. We must get him quickly back to Caduceus where we can treat him. I assure you we'll do everything we can to get him back on his feet. I think you should check all of us out. I mean, we were all on the plane with him in very close quarters. Yes, any of us could have been exposed. He sort of takes a look at you and he says, do you mind if I open your shirt a little? My shirt? Yes. Of course. It's okay. So he, he undoes the buttons on your, both of your shirts, looks in, sees the snake scales. Oh. And he says, don't worry, you'll be fine. And then he puts Logan into the back of the ambulance. They turn the siren on and he says, meet us at Caduceus in a couple of days. He'll be fine by then. And then they scream off into the night with the sirens wailing. And that is the end of the Borneo chapter. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, no selfless act goes unrewarded. No. Let's pick it up with... Should I click dying? No, you're not dying. You're not dying. But you're not in good shape. Because obviously you're suffering from the yellow death. Which isn't a good place to be. Let's pick it up with Richard and Thackeray standing on the, on the airfield of Idlewild as the ambulance has gone off into the night. It's a warm summer night in New York as you see your friend being rushed off to the Caduceus headquarters for whatever treatment it is that they, they are determining will be necessary. What's your state of mind? What's your current sort of plan? Mr. Chesterton, I could use a drink. I think we could use a lot of drinks. I'm, Richard's pretty shaken. I mean, he saw some pretty horrific stuff. Taxi? Yeah, he would like some whiskey. <laughs> okay, so you, you hail a taxi and you get in it and you're driving off. Go off to the Hotel Astor while I have a uh, tab open. Very good, very good. A little while later, you're sitting in this pub. For some reason, there's now a fire burning in the grate. Maybe it got a lot colder. The hotel is on fire! Yeah, I suppose you're in a bit of a contemplative mood because your friend is somewhere in the bowels of the Caduceus building 
what's your plan then? Now you're sitting there with a drink and, and trying to regain a little bit of your composure. Do you think Mr. Selby's going to be all right, Doc? He's suffering from a malady which... I've only heard the same stories you have, Mr. Chesterton. I, uh... All we can do is hope that he will be all right in the care of Caduceus. They were able to treat our snakeskin maladies somewhat. So, and, and judging by the technology that they possess, I feel like Mr. Selby is in the uh, most capable hands he could possibly be in for this particular disease. I hope so. I doubt uh, any of our modern hospitals would be able to cure his affliction. They've probably never even seen it before, so probably not. They probably don't understand uh, the implications of having somebody with this particular malady in such an urban setting. This is an opportunity for a great tragedy. I hope it doesn't. So close as we are to the uh, memories of the yellow fever and the damage that that caused to the world, I can only hope that Caduceus is uh, taking proper precautions. I hope so too. Mr. Selby, the brave man, I can only hope to be as brave as he is someday. Bravest man I've ever met. But we cannot talk of him as if he were not here. We must keep heart. Yeah, keep heart. He's going to be fine. Caduceus knows what they're doing. We have to believe that. I feel like we should learn more about this organization, though. Yeah. Where do you think we could learn more about it? I have some contacts, perhaps, in the university. Perhaps they will know more. Oh, and maybe Molly at the Natural History Museum knows something. I'm assuming Caduceus has worked with them at some point. That is most probable. All right. Or she might know somebody at the museum who knows, <clears throat> if nothing else. What time of day is it? Would it be possible to maybe call the museum and see if uh, Molly's in? You can call them tomorrow morning, let's say. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be... Uh... It's evening. It's evening, right? Yeah, so we can cut to the next day with you trying to kind of dig around a bit. So you're going to call your museum friends, yes? Yes. I think I would actually go talk to her. Okay, so the next morning you head to the Museum of Nat is it the Museum of Natural History? Is that what we decided? Yes, that's what I. Yep. Okay, now didn't something go horribly wrong with Molly last time? <laughs> I can't remember what happened. That you kind of had a falling out with her. She thought you were crazy. Was was that what happened? I am just looking at my notes because I know I, I would write it down. In the end of the last chapter, you you went and told Molly about all the crazy stuff, and I can't remember. So again, in this New York interlude, you all have a chance to gain back more sanity by spending time with the backstory element. If it's a key backstory element, like Molly or whatever, then you get a bonus dice. If you fail the sanity roll, then that backstory element gets corrupted or you kind of lose it. You can also gain new backstory elements between adventures as well, based on what's happened to you and, and stuff like that. I think that I tried to show her the snakeskin and it, it freaked her out. I think that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's assume she is still a backstory element. But going forward, if you fail a sanity roll with a backstory element, you basically, you either lose it or it gets corrupted and turned into something bad, i.e. a friend becomes an enemy or uh, a source of your comfort and, um, or wealth or status gets turned upside down. You lose face, you lose privilege, you know, something like that. Okay. So from now on, let's do it that way. And you can make a note on your character sheets if that's the case, because it, it adds other role-playing potential as well. You know, it'd be fun to have an ex-girlfriend kind of trying to ruin you in public life or whatever. Oh, sorry. That, that, I was going to say, that's that's what I have. I had a falling out with my girlfriend last time, and she became, a, I think we decided, disgusted by the snakeskin as well. So that's there's a plot element. But go on, go on. Right, right, right. Excellent, excellent. All right, so you turn up at the museum. 
and Molly's down in the storage rooms in the basement. She's probably sorting some fossils, let's say. Uh, and you knock on the door and Molly looks around and she, and she can't suppress the smile on her face as she sees you coming. Are you in a good, like, are you in a bit of a tricky, like, moment in your in the relationship? Yeah, Either she's way. not really my girlfriend. She's someone I'm trying to kind of impress. You know okay. what I mean? Oh, right, 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 right. So Molly looks up at Richard as he comes in. She tries to maintain her serious academic demeanor, but she can't help it. And she bursts out in a huge grin. She runs over, throws her arms around your neck and gives you this big hug. He says, oh, Richard, Richard, I'm so glad you're back. Oh, I heard all kinds of crazy things from, from some people that you were, I don't know, g- going to cure some incurable disease in somewhere in Asia. What, what's been going on? Oh, it's Borneo. Yeah, Borneo. Borneo? Jeez, that's that's a long way off. What, are you okay? Oh, yeah, you know, and he kind of gives her that smile that he has. And he says, take more than a little bit of some nasty virus to take me down, you know. Oh, I'm so glad, but my God, look at you. you got a huge black eye, you got bruises all over your shoulders. What on earth's been going on? Well, much daring do and gallantry, I assure you. Sorry, saw what he let me take a look at it. Maybe, and she starts reaches out for your shirt. Oh no, I'm fine. I'm uh, I'm good. I've seen doctors, and it's just a few bumps and bruises. I'll, I'll be fine. Okay, okay, y'all. Look, I'm kind of busy. I got all of these trilobite fossils to sort through. You, you can't imagine how how fascinating these trilobites are. Come and have a look. Oh no, I, I you know I'm fascinated. I still have that other fossil you gave me. I, I treasure it. You know, keep it with me. Oh, I'm so glad. And what about those two funny friends of yours? Are they doing okay? Yeah, he's fine. I'm cooling my heels out in the lobby. But Mr. Selby, he will be fine. Caduceus is a god. Actually, Molly, has Caduceus ever worked with the museum? Well, you can make a luck roll. Okay. Luck roll. Hopefully I make it. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. She sits there for a minute and says, Caduceus, you say? Is that the organization that's been sending you all, all around the world? Yes, it is. Yeah, now... You know what? When you said that, it really struck home. They're the the, the medical organization, yeah? You know, with, that's their symbol, isn't it? The medical symbol. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, because maybe it was some time a year or two ago, I was just working in the office, and it's really funny. This old guy, really distinguished looking with a long white beard, he came in to meet the director. And I was kind of just listening in a bit, not 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 spying on them or anything like that, but I couldn't help. He introduced himself as uh, Joshua Meadham. Have you heard the name Joshua Meadham? Joshua Meadham. I don't think so. He's not in my list here. So what you know is that the Caduceus headquarters are in the Meadham building. That's right. So she said, yeah, he said he was the founder of this organization, Caduceus. And they were, they were really interested in looking through some of our archives for research purposes or something. But that's all I know about them. Well, the, the headquarters are in the Meadham building. Well, yeah. I mean, that must be it. He must have been the, the top dog there, the, the head honcho. Do you know uh, what section of the archives he was most interested in? He said something about Precambrian fossils or something. I don't think they, they found anything that interesting. He's talking about fossil records from a long time ago, and I don't know, some kind of stuff I didn't understand. Something about early civilizations. Uh, early civilizations. Oh, that's very interesting. I mean, we saw a lot of interesting ruins in Borneo. Maybe Caduceus has an interest in some of these 
early civilizations. Yeah, I thought it was a bit odd. I mean, they're a medical aid organization. Why are they interested in archaeology? I mean, it was kind of crazy. He was talking about, you know, civilizations from 300,000 years ago. The director was laughing, saying, <laughs> saying, don't be stupid. They were, well, he didn't say that exactly. I, I, he was thinking it, I knew. But he said, don't be ridiculous. Uh, there were no civilizations 200,000 years ago. And I remember this now to this day, that this medium guy, he said, don't be so sure, director. Anyway, are you getting getting wrapped up with these guys? No, we've just done a couple of jobs. You know, I'm trying to make a name for myself. Well, so. I mean, he seemed like a really nice old gentleman, you know, very academic. Look, Richard, I may be a bit forward, but maybe we should get dinner sometime and we can talk about it more. But I'm really busy at the moment. Oh, yeah. How about tomorrow night dinner? Sure, sure. All right. I'll, I'll pick you up when your shift is over here at the museum. You know what? I hear there's a really good lobster place down in Red Hook. That sounds lovely. If that's where you want to go, that's where we'll go. All right. So that's where we're going to go. In Red Hook. Mr. Chesterton, you're not seriously thinking about taking an interest of yours to Brooklyn, are you? Please, take your date on my tab, the Astor Hotel. Oh, all right. Thank you, Mr. Uh, thanks, Doc. I'll do that. To think of it, Brooklyn. I'll take it to the Aster. Only the finest for Miss Jones. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. So, Thackeray, you were going to call some of your university. You're going to take a chance here. I know that my ex-girlfriend, who was quite uh, put off by the scaly skin that I had acquired, however, she is a doctor uh, specializing in, in ancient history. So, I'm going to uh, take a chance and uh, visit her during her office hours. Wow. Okay, this could get tasty. Without a call, without calling. <laughs> just going to turn up. I'm just going to turn up. Okay. Would this be Columbia? Uh, yes, Columbia University. Okay. Dr. Elizabeth Salt, Professor of Ancient History. Fantastic. Okay. So you go to Columbia, and you go up to her office, knock on the door, and without looking up, she's maybe marking some papers or something. She just says... Come in. And she's marking away. She says, sit down, sit down. Wait a minute. I'll be with you in a minute. So, uh, keeping busy. Mr. Thackeray, why are you here? I think we know each other well enough that you can call me Arjun. Okay, Arjun. What are you doing here? I've just come back from Borneo, and I've encountered a civilization there, and I, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. I'm not here for any other reason. Please, hear me out. Well... A more suspicious woman would think you're just trying to get back on my good books. Well, we both know how difficult it is to get into your books at all. Is that not so? She says, Arjun. Tell me, have you ever heard of Tyrannish? Does that name ring any bells? Tyrannish? It, it doesn't sound like any... What, what, from, from what culture? What region? It's quite remarkable. You remember, I'm sure you remember my trip to the Amazon. And uh, now this recent trip to Borneo has borne some strange fruit. It seems that an organization called the Inner Knight, uh, some sort of snake worshippers, the followers of a god called Sethagua, they've turned up in both locations. And it's quite perplexing. I was wondering if maybe by any chance you would... Uh... I don't understand. I mean, you're giving me names of, of things that I've never even heard of. In fact, even the grammatical constructions they're not they don't seem to be from the root of any language that i know where are you getting this information from 
mostly from rubbings I've taken in several ruins that I've visited. I pull out one of the chalk rubbings. She immediately, uh, she says, let me have a look at that. This is a language called Nakal. Nakal? That sounds possibly South American to me, but these symbols, these glyphs, these hieroglyphs, these are not Incan or Aztec. What what on earth are they? I do not know, but uh, I've heard uh, legends that uh, whoever this uh, civilization is, they possibly have the technology to summon a star, if you could believe such things. Look, in my research, there are many descriptions of powerful wizards and the control of magical forces. It's, it's, all just, it's all just fairy stories, Arjun. You're not telling me you believe this stuff. It's really good to see you, Elizabeth. Okay, I'll tell you what. You can make a persuade roll at this point. You want to spend some luck on that? You know, for role-playing purposes, I almost don't want it. But you know what? How much would I need here? Just six. Just six? All right, yeah, I'll spend the six. Or you could push the roll, and then we could get into some really... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's even better. Let's push it. Okay, go on then. All right, uh, sorry. There we go. No! (laughs) Okay, so Elizabeth looks at you and says, Arjun, I knew you had this willful streak in you, this fantasist. This is why why it was never going to work out between us. I'm a rationalist. What on earth? What on earth are you talking about? You start to talk about black magic and mysterious ancient civilizations. For all I know, you could have drawn this in the cab on the way here with a piece of chalk. This stuff's all nonsense, Arjun. I think you know me well enough that that is not the case. You know, this is the problem with you, Elizabeth. You're always putting down my findings just because they are rooted in the psychological. You must let go. Let go of what you know in those books, Elizabeth. I hate to tell you, Arjun, but psychology is not a science. Good day to you. And <laughs> she shows you the tour. How dare you? Excellent. So, if anything, you are even more, <laughs> more frosty. I write a furious note to my pen pal, Carl Young. Later that day, well, I'll tell you what, we won't deal with you quite yet, Thackeray. Because clearly Elizabeth wasn't a backstory element that you can rely on. If you, at some point in the New York downtime, want to interact with another backstory element, that could be a place or another person or... Okay, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I would do what I did last time when we fought and she kicked me out was I would uh, I'd go contact my other friend in New York, uh, Detective Green, up in Harlem. And I tell him, you know, we need to talk. Okay, and, that's good. Uh, he'll meet me at the pub. And, you know, while there, I'd go into what she said and everything. And then uh, I would ask him if he could possibly look into Caduceus or any, if there's any strange phenomena. Let's play that out next session because uh, we, we're going to do a, like a full New York session with various... There's a few plot elements that start happening in New York anyway. So we can do that next session. But what I will... I think that given that, Richard, you had that good encounter with Molly, I will give you the option now of making that sanity roll with a bonus dice if you wish oh you're already at maximum sanity yeah yeah <laughs> okay in that case there's no need to do it but it's good for role play purposes however later that day you get a telegram telling you that to come immediately to the Medum building okay on the upper east side apparently there's some been, been some progress with logan's treatment so you you're already pretty well aware of of the various uh 
floors on the building uh, of the Medium building you are, you arrive back in the uh, the Medium building on the upper east side the 18 story magnificent 18 story building you come in through the main entrance given that you now have authorization what they've called first level authorization you go up to the eighth floor meeting rooms where you meet Dr. Gonsalves again. Dr. Gonsalves is sitting there in the meeting room. Uh, he's the one that's called this meeting to give you information uh, or to give you an update on Logan's condition. And he looks up and he says, come in, come in, welcome, welcome. Uh, I trust you're all feeling better after your, you know, having a good couple of nights rest. Yes, but how's Logan? How's Mr. Selby? Well, what I can say is that uh, the treatment has proceeded very well. In fact, you'll be able to see him very shortly. We're just running some final diagnostics, and uh, I'm sure he, he will be okay. Now tell me, the two of you, no symptoms since I saw you? No I haven't had symptoms. Have you, Doc? I've not oozed yellow pus, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, or thrown up my insides. No, no, that is, it is good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you see, your condition, your other condition that we all know about, this uh, skin condition. This is what is um, providing you the protection against the yellow death. You see? That's one benefit. It is otherwise ruining my life. What can I say? It is an unfortunate side effect. But there are some other benefits. You will have noticed your skin is more resilient as well. Yes, uh, I noticed that. Certainly. Things didn't hurt as much as I thought they should have. Uh, exactly, exactly. This what I call the hybridization process. This uh, brings many benefits. There are, of course, some downsides, too. So are we destined to simply slowly change into snake people? Is that our fate? He kind of pauses for a while, and then he looks at you and says, Unfortunately, yes. I need to sit down. Yeah, me too. And Richard kind of puts a shaky hand on the back of a chair. Please, I understand. I understand. It is a lot to take in. But please sit Anything you need to ask me, I will endeavor to explain to you. What do we do? How are we supposed to live if we turn into snake people? Where do we go? Well, you see, there, there are ways to disguise the effects. Even upon complete transformation. You may have already observed something like this. I understand from the field agent report that poor old Shapiro... He uh, was on the receiving end. Are you suggesting we steal someone's skin and wear it? Not exactly. There are other, less invasive methods that we understand. Are you practicing one of these methods right now? Me? No, no, no. I am human, I, I assure you. Is this how you recruit your field agents? You infect them with this reptilian disease, and now we are shackled to Caduceus for the rest of our lives? Oh, Professor Thackeray, please do not think of it like this. You are helping us on a very important mission. Now, for every challenge that we meet, there are certain things to overcome, and this is just one more. So you're saying you didn't do this on purpose? Of course we didn't do it on purpose. It, this was something that happened to you in Bolivia. In the temple, yes? As I understand. Yeah, in the temple. So tell us about what we can do. I mean... These less invasive, invasive procedures. I don't want to go around looking like a snake. Well, look, the, the way this condition progresses is it is not a continuous or constant process. 
I will try and put this in simple terms. The cells in your body that are ophidian in nature, snake cells, you see, they do not just emerge. They appear in response to damage. They will be created during the healing process. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we get damaged. Instead of growing back our own skin, we grow back snake skin? Exactly. But it takes significant damage. If you cut yourself shaving, it will not trigger this response. A bullet to the chest, on the other hand, uh, that will. Uh, it takes significant amounts of damage to trigger the regrowth of, of the ophidian cells. So we just have to not, never get hurt. Well, uh, that would be one approach. Yes, I mean, if you go and keep away from any danger or trouble for the rest of your life, the hybridization will not progress, no. Well, that is certainly not the way that I intend to live my life. No, me neither. We can't do that. I mean, we have to be brave. So what other options are there? All right, uh, I was just going to say, fine, then uh, what can we do for Mr. Selby? Well, Mr. Selby... He is fine now. There are no traces of, of the Yellow Death in him. We just had to check for any lingering organ damage or anything like that. We have eradicated the, the disease. But uh, you were asking Mr. Mr. Chesterton about what other ways there are, yes? Yes, because, I mean, there's just no way we can... I don't think there's any way we're going to have a safe life. Not anymore. So, what other ways? My friend has a date tonight. I mean, what can we do? Exactly. I mean, you know. Gonzalez looks at you and says, just make sure you don't get hit by car before you go to the date. <laughs> he says, trying to make a joke out of it. Richard gives him like a weak little smile. <laughs> he says, no, no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't joke. Give but... me the order and I will hit him over the head. He says, please, please, please. I, it was just my small joke. No, you see, from what we understand, let's say the procedure that the serpent person took on Shapiro, that was a very powerful magic. I believe they call it Serpent's New Skin. Quite poetic, I think. That is a horrible procedure. It is very effective, but in order to enact it, you must consume the entire body of the creature you wish to inhabit. That is, I believe, what happened to Push Shapiro. But that is a very transgressive and awful thing. It creates an almost perfect replica, as you probably noticed. Yeah, we know it's not quite perfect, though. Yes, now, there are other ways as well. Yeah, tell us one that doesn't involve eating people. Well, uh, there are temporary ways in which the appearance can be changed. There are more medium-term. They do involve, of course, some degree of uh, physical interference. There is a way of doing something called skinwalking. Again does involve, you wouldn't have to consume the flesh, but you would have to wear the skin. What's the least gross option? Cosmetics? Do we have any cosmetics? Yes, cosmetics will of course be fine for uh, some period, but you are currently what we would call stage two, you see. You see, you have, where you have been wounded, you have grown scales. This is stage two. And if you notice, your skin has become almost imperceptibly scaly. Yes, you've seen that. This is what provides your protection against damage. And when you get to stage three, certain other things start to happen. One, you grow fangs. Two, once a month, you will shed your skin and grow new skin. <laughs> he looks at you. I uh, don't think that the ladies are going to like fangs. 
No, although Bella Lugosi is a very popular movie actor, so maybe... I'm going to hit him. I have to hit him. Please, 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 Dr. Thackeray. I will make no more jokes. Please, I promise. I love the bedside manner in this place. And there's no reverse in it. There's no way. You guys haven't... You're all smart. You're all like smart intellectual types. You haven't figured out a way to reverse this? We are working on it. We have only become intimately aware of the biological processes in very recently. But stage three is not the, f the end, I'm afraid. Stage four, yes, then you actually stop being human altogether. You become a serpent person entirely. Yes. But that is all. You obviously saw Tyrannish. Yeah. Have you seen other serpent people in your travels? I think not. At least not fully. But you would look something like her. Not of the same size, you see. She is of a more ancient bloodline. They are much more powerful, much greater than uh, the serpent people that live today. But anyway, I know this is a lot to take in. Is there anything else I can... What's this doing to my ophidiophobia? Yeah. So it's an underlying... I just found out I'm turning into that which I fear. I think there's something. You have. You can make a sanity roll at this point if you want. Like, can I use that hundred fumble from before? <laughs> do you really want to? I kind of do. Okay, fine. Okay. Should I make one too, Andy? Should I, or should both of us? Or just... Do you have a phidiophobia? I do, yeah. You have it as well? Oh, Jesus Christ, you do. Yeah, so you need to make a sanity roll too. Okay. All right. Okay, you've managed to hang on. So you lose one point of sanity. However, let's just delay this for a tiny, for one fraction of a second, Thackeray, because you do lose six sanity from this realization. And maybe you're sitting there just kind of like, just about to have whatever bout of madness is about to come on. At which point the door opens and Gonzalo says, Mr. Logan, so glad that you could join us. And you turn around and you see Logan Selby and you can see a swathe of a patch of his skin is covered in scales. Oh. And at this point, Thackeray, you can roll to see what your path of madness is. Actually, you know what? You have to make an intelligence roll first. Hey. Oh, well, actually, so you don't have a bout of madness. Oh, that's disappointing. No, but you, you do lose six sanity points. And Logan, you have been treated. You are cured. But the only cure was to make you undergo the hybridization process. This spot that you can see of scales, where is it? It's just on the side of your, just at the lower part of your neck. All right. So Logan walks in and you see him scratching the side of his neck. Just kind of, just keep scratching at it. You just kind of look, and he looks at, notices Richard and the professor and says, hey guys, how's it going? Like nothing happened. Mr. Selby, you're all right. Richard gets a big wide grin on his face for a second as he, he's really happy to see his friend, but, but you've gone a little snaky. Yeah, it appears we're the three musketeers these days. Professor Thackeray is just practicing deep breathing exercises. This head in his lap. Is Logan aware of everything you just told Richard and the professor? No, no, he's not. He's completely oblivious at this point. All you know is that you've been treated and you, you're free of the yellow death. And maybe you assume it was just a, a small temporary side effect of the treatment as you've grown scales. But one thing, actually, AP, this, this would be good because although you didn't, don't have a bat of madness, you do, that there is an involuntary action that you have to undergo for losing that sanity. So what would you like that involuntary action to be? Oh, oh okay. So I just, since I was there doing the deep breathing exercise, can I just pass out? 
Yes. And yeah, Logan, as you come in, scratch your scales and greet your pals, uh, Richard is very pleased to see you. And you just see the, the professor slump down in his chair and fall unconscious to the, to the floor. Noticing that, I would quickly rush over. Okay. Well, as you're leaving, Gonsalves says, Now, there's going to be another briefing in about three days' time. Got a bit of local trouble that we need you to uh, check out, but we're not ready to brief you until then. So uh, don't get into any trouble out there in that big city, he says as he waves you off. Three days' time, you said? Three days. See you then. (laughs) Okay, and then we can end it there.